welcome to our Kingdom Culture Podcast. For today's message, we are thankful for what God is doing through this podcast to encourage and transform lives around the world. If you have a story to share about how God has encouraged or transformed your life through this podcast, we would love to hear about it by emailing us at mystory@kingdomculture.ca. If you would like to support this ministry financially to help us bring messages like this to you every week, you can do so online at kingdomculture.ca at the Give option. We also would love to connect with you on our social media, on Instagram and Twitter at KC Ottawa, and Facebook at Facebook slash Kingdom Culture Ottawa. We pray that you would experience God today and be encouraged through today's message. Enjoy! Welcome to Kingdom Culture. Happy New Year, first Sunday of the year, back in person. So good to see all your amazing faces. We'll dismiss the kids into kid culture and the youth right now and... We're so excited that you're here with us. I hope everyone had a good break or a good Christmas. Some of it wasn't a break for some people. I hope you had a good Christmas. I hope you enjoyed the season. I hope you enjoyed people in the season. I hope you got some rest. I hope you started some new things, tried some new things, ate some new food, Maybe none of that took place in your life, but hey, we're glad that you're here. Welcome. Welcome. I I want to say a few things. I'm going to I'm going to prophesy something right now over the season and over um Canada. And I'm going to at the beginning of this new year, I was a part of this I'm a, I'm a part of the uh, a core team that oversees what's called the Canadian Prophetic Council in Canada and uh it's a ne- it's a pretty large network of of national leaders uh from a national level and both local regional level and um we were part of an event at the beginning of this year where a bunch of us um basically virtually spoke into what we believe God is saying into this amazing country that we all live in despite what you feel at times it's an amazing country with an amazing plan. God has an amazing plan for this country. And I'm just going to share a portion of that, uh, of some of the word that I feel like God had sh- has shown me. Um, just a portion, a small portion, because I want to get into what God has. Uh, I believe that you can watch the rest of the video online, so I'm not going to share everything. But I do believe that, and this is connected into... What we're talking about today. You know, we're in a series starting today called All Things New. Starting last week, sorry. All Things New. It feels like today for me because it's the first live back in person. Last week it started virtually online. If you haven't watched it, I would really encourage you to go back and watch the January 1st message, which is week one of our All Things New series. I really feel like this is um, a prophetic statement over the year for us and over the season. And when I say year and I say season, I, I kind of feel like sometimes the season goes beyond this the year. I don't like sticking to a year. I don't like feeling like it's just about the year and then all of a sudden it stops. It's a season and God wants us to get it into our life. Do you believe that? He wants us to get the things that he's speaking into our life. Is anybody, is anybody here this morning? Let me take a break. But I really believe this, that there is a new landscape for our community here that God is developing. And this simul- this also connects synonymously with what I believe God is doing in our country. You know, when it comes to landscape, 
if anybody who's ever done landscaping, anybody in here ever done landscaping before? Well, I, that was one of the jobs that I had years and years ago, and uh, I, I always loved the end results. How many love the end results of some sort of project? You know, no one really likes the process, the mess in between, the, you know, the journey really towards it, the preparation, but we love the end result. We love the, what happens after, you know, a, a property. I'm not talking about trimming your grass. I'm talking about, you know, taking a backyard and, you know, putting a pool in, into it or interlock, a patio, a deck, uh, you know, a bubbling rock, a fountain, something that just adds a whole new element and environment to the landscape of your yard. It's, look, it's, a, it's an amazing experience to, to work for three months and see the end result. The thing I love about landscape is that, and when I, when I say new landscape, is that when there's a new landscape, it changes the look, the focus, and the utilization of the property. All of a sudden now, you know, it used to be just grass, no fence. You didn't really want to sit out there, but now you have a patio, you have a fence, you have a pool, you have a, a bubbling rock. You have something to enjoy. Now you're utilizing the property different. It looks different. The focus and vision of the property is different. And now the way you're living and the way you're experiencing this property is different. I believe this is happening I believe the look, the focus, and the utilization of what God has given us as a church body is changing. I believe it, across, it cross-pollinates across the country in every church, in the body of Christ, the big C church. But I believe also in this house. And I just want to say this, that I am hopeful for the church in Canada. I really am. I'm hopeful for God's plan. I believe God's going to invade every sphere of society that... The plan of the enemy will not prevail, that God has a prevailing plan. I really believe that. And it's not just because I'm a faith guy. I believe that God's word is God's word. I believe that God's word is yes and amen, which, by the way, if you don't know what amen means and you say it all the time and you're wondering, it means so be it. Let it happen. I come into agreement. Let it be done. That's what it literally means. So his promises are, yes, they're done. It's completed. And we're just a part of the process of experiencing what's already been completed. So God has a plan. You know, Jesus spoke of two leavens to be careful about. Because a little bit of leaven leavens the whole lump. He spoke of two specific leavens. A religious one, and I won't get into all the details of it. But you can read about it in Mark chapter 8. And other scriptures as well as different references, the same story, the same statement, just worded differently in different gospels. But he warns of two leavens. He speaks of three, but he warns of two. He says, beware of the, the religious leaven, that religious spirit that will come in and destroy and divide. And we beware of the political one. The one that thinks rational, the one that thinks logic only. The one that's very humanistic in nature. The one that leaves out God often. Beware of the religious one and beware of the political one. He says beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees in another gospel. Beware of the leaven of Herod. That's what he says. And he's not speaking of the, 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 the actual leaven of an individual or the actual leaven of a people group or a sect of religious society. He's actually speaking to something spiritual. Mindsets, influences, things that will deter and 
take you off track and rob the leaven of the kingdom that I put on the inside of you from actually leavening your whole lump. That's the reference. Are you with me? So he speaks of two leavens. And I feel like what the Lord spoke to me, he said, watch these mountains of influence and the leadership in them in the next 18 months. Both the political one and the religious one. Watch these mountains of influence in the next 18 months. There will be three phases of leadership transition. This is what I saw. This is how, I, this is how he spoke it to me. I'm going to read this to you. Especially watch what begins within the church as a whole and then watch what takes place in the political one. The shuffle, the shakedown, and the shakeout. Three things I saw, three phases. Three phases of leadership transition. The shuffle, the shakedown, and the shakeout. In a vision, I saw a massive shuffleboard, and I felt the Lord say there will be a great leadership shuffle, a great leadership shakedown, and a great leadership shakeout. The shuffle is a repositioning, the shakedown is a restructuring, and the shakeout will be that of a fallout. In this next season, leaders in two specific areas are being both pushed out and pulled in. One of the signs to follow is to watch what I do with the women in leadership and power in this next season. New leadership is budding. Stay awake and pray. I really feel like I wanted to open up this year by giving you a perspective of what God is going to do in the next 18 months. To watch and pray. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, before the greatest decision he would ever make, going to the cross, dying for all humanity, and then, of course, resurrecting, he said, watch and pray, and they couldn't stay awake. He gave them a warning of what was to come. He gave them insight into what was happening, what was going on, but they couldn't stay awake for it. He had to wake them up multiple times. And, of course, you know the story. He gets arrested. Judas Iscariot, his his Really, his finance guy betrays him. And then the, the, the process begins. But that was all part of the plan. But the point is, is that the people that were closest to Jesus did not and could not stay awake. And there's a charge to us in this season, I believe this, to stay awake. You cannot catch a ball if your eyes are closed. I'm talking about in the spirit. If your eyes are closed in the spirit, you will not be able to catch, which is what Jesus was really saying. Yes, he was saying stay awake and pray, but really he was calling their spirit into uh, an awakened state. That if you can understand the time and the season, the eternal significance of this moment, you will not betray me or you will not walk away from me when I go to the cross. So yes, it's stay awake physically, but stay awake spiritually because that's the most important part of your journey. And they couldn't do it. And that's why, you know, in, in his process with God, he was like, you know, the flesh is weak, but the spirit is willing. Like, I, I don't want to do this. I don't want to go to the cross. I don't want to do this. I, I don't want to do this. He was making a comment. He was connecting that comment also to what was happening in the, in the moment with his disciples. The flesh is weak, it's weary, but the spirit is willing. And if the spirit is willing, God's charge over us is to stay in that place of staying awake. And in the midst of staying awake, guess what the enemy's trying to do? He's changed the whole game. 
by now waking people up to the wrong things. We call that woke, right? Right now that's the word that everybody's using, right? We're woke. No, you see, God's calling the church to stay awake. And at the same time, he's calling the church to stay awake. The enemy's going to attack and say, no, I'm going to wake them up to other things. I'm going to wake them up to the wrong things. I'm going to wake them up to the wrong things in the name of the right things. I'm going to wake them up to the wrong things in the name of the truth. In the name of what they think is the, the way God wants it to be. And I'm going to confuse the church. Because right now, you guys, the church is confused across the board. And I'm speaking generally speaking. There is always remnant. There is always strong and strength. I'm talking about generally here. The church is confused. Because the culture is waking up to things that now the church is following suit on. The culture is waking up to things that God has actually always called the church to be more woke and more awake. And this is, I believe, this is God's decree over us. He's called you to stay awake in this season or you will be taken out. He says this, and this is not what I'm supposed to, t I'm not what I'm talking about today. But he says this in the garden. He says, he says, the hour of temptation is at hand. That's what he says. So stay awake and pray. That's what he says. He says to the disciples, the hour of temptation is at hand. You know the number one reason why we submit to temptation is because we fall asleep. He said, stay awake and pray. We go blind spiritually to the things around us. We fall asleep, we disconnect ourselves from that relationship in that moment, and we fall victim to temptation. Jesus is saying, stay awake and pray. And he's, and he's addressing, he's like, listen, your spirit's always willing, but it's your flesh that you're battling with. But when you are truly awake and you understand who you are, you'll be able to overcome every time your flesh. So we forget who we are. We forget what we are. We forget what God has called us to. So stay awake and pray. I want to talk about, over the next couple weeks here, we talked about this, the first week was last week. I'm going to break down three revelations that I believe are absolutely important for us in this season of our life to get, if we're going to stay awake, but also if we're going to see this new landscape in our life. God wants you to have a new landscape in your life. Think about how your life looks like right now, okay? Well, God is, God is changing everything. He's giving you a whole new landscape. He's going to dig up some stuff. He's going to put some stuff down. He's going to, you know, add, add some new, new stuff to, to your, your spiritual property, your spiritual life. He's going to make you as an individual, spiritually speaking, will look different by the end of this year. The new landscape to you. But how many know that with landscape, there's like mess, there's, it's dirty, it's hard, you're going to get some calluses, it's going to be hard work. It's hard work. You may not have a Kubota, you got to dig with your own hand, put it in a wheelbarrow, you got to, you know, run it down your street, like find a forest, dump it, and like it could be hard work. You don't have all the tools you need, but you have what you have, and you got to work with what you have. This is a season where God is changing the landscape, but... If you are going to experience what God has for you this year, you have to position yourself. So I want to talk about, and we mentioned this the first week, three revelations that I believe we are to position ourselves within if we are going to experience this new landscape in 
2023. Like I said, when you change the landscape, the look, the focus, and how your life and leadership are utilized, 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 changes into something even better than what it is. But before a nicely executed landscaped job, you have to have a plan. And the plan is the revelation that we're talking about today. The plan is getting a hold of this revelation. When I say the, the word revelation, I don't want to just say words like this and hopefully everybody understands what I'm saying. The word revelation means something unveiled to you. When someone says, I had a revelation, it means I had an, an eye-opening experience. And that eye-opening experience has now led to a transformation in my life. It's not a real revelation if there's no transformation. It's information. If there's no real inner transformation, it's not a revelation. It's information. A revelation will open up your eyes in such a way that will transform every part of your life. It doesn't mean it's going to be instant. But it's, it's continuing like leaven to leaven the whole lump of your life. And that's what God has called all of us to experience. So number one, last week we talked about the revelation of community. Write that down. Now, like I said, if you have not heard last week's message, I broke that whole thing down last week, January 1st. But something that I have learned over the years is that sometimes the people that say they want community the most are the ones that have the hardest time making real deep relationships and friendships. They often leave gatherings first. They do not prioritize gatherings. They complain often about how the community they are in is not good enough. And I've watched this, especially in church context. You can give any, every, everything to an individual to provide them with, with what they're looking for when it comes to community, and they still reject it. No matter where they go, they feel unloved, rejected, they feel abandoned, they feel like nobody likes them. They come late and leave first. And they don't position themselves for a new landscape. They don't position themselves to practically walk out this revelation of community that they say they have and desire so much to experience. Because there's a war on, on the inside of them that they don't even realize is happening. And it's robbing them of community. Sometimes people that want community the most can't seem to see the community that's right in front of them. They want everything but what's in front of them. How many know people like that? It's like they're hungry and they have no food except the food that's in front of them. Like, I'm not hungry for this right now. Like, I want the chocolate, but all I have is the broccoli. Maybe if you had the broccoli, you wouldn't want the chocolate. If you utilize what's in front of you, you position yourself to grow and mature into the person that God wants you to be. Sometimes people that have the real deep relationships, let me flip it, do not run to them when they need them the most. So this begs the question, how deep are they? Because listen to this, accountability is only as strong as your willingness to surrender. You can say you're accountable all you want and have all the systems in place, but at the end of the day, accountability is only strong as your ability to surrender. 
to the people that you say you have deep connection with? People are always asking that question, like, like, what's your accountability? Who's your accountability? Who's your accountability? It's only always going to be as strong as your ability to surrender. A system will not keep you accountable the same way a person will. You can cheat the system. People do that all the time. Cheat the system. Cheat the systems that have been set up to protect them. They can cheat them. But what you cannot cheat is community. What you cannot escape from is real relationship. When somebody knows you and knows into you, they know what's going on in you and with you. And hopefully they will be able to be there for you when you're going through something. Are you here this morning? The early church, listen to this, had this down. Like the early church had this down. The only reason, let me rephrase that. The main, the most common denominator in the book of Acts and the success and transformation in the book of Acts outside of the obvious, the revelation of the gospel, the power of love, the power of his, of, of his word, the power of his name. The only, the co- most common denominator was that all the things that happened in the book of Acts happened in the context of the revelation of community. Read it in Acts chapter 2. I mean, they, they, they met daily. They were, consi- like, their community was so strong. In fact, the word, when it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, that they devoted themselves to community. They devoted themselves to teaching. They devoted themselves to breaking bread together. They devoted themselves to being with each other. That word devoted means to commit or persevere with an unrelenting continuance. Like they, they kept on. They did not give up. They did not separate when things got hard. They actually joined even tighter when things got hard. People were dying, being persecuted. They prayed more. They gathered more. They got more bold. They performed more miracles. Cast out more demons. They were threatened, put in prison. They kept doing it. They didn't stop. No matter what the, 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 the rules or regulations around them were and how those things were trying to deter them from being obedient, they kept on with an unrelenting continuance. The success of the Reformation that happened in the book of Acts that we read really happened in the context of the revelation of community. Are you hearing this? This is such an important part. And community, with, let, me, let me just say this, relationship without purpose and without mission can only go so deep. How many, how many, how many know this? Like, just, just be honest for a second. Like, you could have a relationship with somebody, talk about the weather or hang out, do whatever, whatever stuff. But when you have a relationship and you have a mission that's connected, how much deeper can you go? You're on the same track. Similar goals, similar vision. You're growing together. You're spurring one another on. Not just hanging out, you know, doing nothing with your life. Talking about the weather, watching a a football game. I don't think that's bad, okay? Don't hear that. You need to do those things. Do those things. But if you don't have common ground on other things like mission, it won't go as deep as it can when mission and purpose is involved. That's just a reality. So we need the revelation of community. Number two, write this down. Second revelation. This is where I'm focusing today for a short time. 
is I believe that the Lord spoke this to me. He said, we also need the revelation of generosity. Community without generosity actually isn't strong community. Relationship without generosity isn't real relationship. The core value of the relationship that we have with Jesus is founded upon this principle of generosity. John 3, 16, I, I, he so loved the world he gave. He, he was generous. He gave up his life for us to have relationship and be reconciled back to God. The revelation of generosity. God wants this to be something so prominent in your life. So predominant, so strong in your life. The greatest revelation, let me just word it like this, around this concept of generosity that we can get. Write this down. I'm going to blow your mind right now. I'm going to give you the greatest, the, 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 if you can get this, when it comes to generosity, you will win. Are you, are you, are you ready for this? The, the greatest, the greatest thing, the, the most, I'm going to blow your mind right now. Ready? Ready? The greatest thing that you can get around this idea of generosity is to uncomplicate it. Because generosity that's complicated is not generosity. You're like, well, where is that in Scripture? I'm going to show you. Romans chapter 12, verse 8. Paul is listing various levels of gifts outside of the supernatural, nine supernatural gifts of the Spirit found in 1 Corinthians 12, outside of the leadership gifts found in Ephesians chapter 4. He's giving a list of more in the context of community, in the context of the people of God. He says this, if your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging, verse 8. If your gift is giving, give. That's not what he says. He says give generously. He, he highlights this idea, if your gift is giving, which is interesting to me that it's actually a gift. And, and just so we are all clear, Every gift that is listed in Scripture outside of the leadership gifts can be pursued. There may be gifts that you naturally more lean on than others and are more predominant in, does not, but it does not exclude you from pursuing the gifts that God wants for you to encourage others. Why would God withhold from you something that can bless somebody else? That's not the nature of a good father. So if your gift is giving, give generously. You know what this word generously means? Let me, let me blow your mind right now. Uncomplicated. In the Greek, it literally means singleness or without folds. So picture this for a second. I'm giving you something. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you, um, this, just, just to give you an example that would make sense to you. I'm going to give you a blanket right now. But before I give it to you, I'm going to give it to you. But I, before I give it to you, i got to fold it. Just hold on a second. Hold on a second. I'm going to fold it. I'm going to fold it. No, actually, it's not good enough yet. Mm -hmm. Wait a minute. See, I'm complicating it, right? I'm going to fold it. I'm going to fold it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put restriction on it. I'm going to put boundaries on it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put conditions on it. I can't give it to you unless it's folded. Do you see what I'm saying here? It's complicated. Rather than here, here's the blanket. Take it. It's uncomplicated to give generously is to give without folds like a piece of cloth 
unfolded, not compounded or overcomplicated, to be simple. How many know some complicated, generous people? And, you know, it's funny because on September 30th, and I, you know, th- this, what I'm going to share right now was a personal thing that God was sharing with me that I believe he wants me to share with you. And I did not know when I was going to share this, but this was given to me on September 30th at 11.30 p.m. I wrote it down. I was about to go to bed, fall asleep. This is often where God speaks to me, drops really interesting things into my spirit. 11.30, September 30th. So I've been holding this for several months now. And I felt the Lord spoke to me and say this. He said, Sean, there are three types of generosity that most people walk in. And he began to list them off to me. And he said, number one, he said, there's frugal generosity. Write that down. I want you to write this down if you can. He said, frugal generosity. This, if I was to define what frugal generosity is, and as I began to like kind of press into it, this is how God began to show it to me. Frugal generosity is more calculated. And, and the word frugal, let me just say this for a second, can be taken negative or positive depending on your approach. To be frugal really is a good thing in, in a lot of ways, to be smart, to be wise with what you have, to be a good steward. But frugal in the negative sense is literally always counting pennies where you're complicating everything all the time when it comes to generosity. Like you're so frugal that the person at the Starbucks didn't give you the proper amount of change back and you're, you're battling them because you want the full quarter, but you got half the quarter and you're battling them. That's frugal generosity. Well, that's being frugal. I wouldn't call it generosity, actually. That's being frugal, okay? You're, you're in the negative sense of frugal, okay? That's not generosity. That's like the negative sense of frugal. Frugal generosity is complicated. It's more calculated. It's strategic. It does what's necessary. It's also preventative. These all sound positive. It's more budget-minded and less faith-minded. Now, let me give you an illustration on how to maybe... Deepen this a little bit. I liken this to like going to a restaurant with somebody, okay? Now, everybody in here probably at some point has gone to a restaurant with somebody, and you weren't sure who was going to pay. Right? Anybody? Okay. So you go to a restaurant with somebody. Maybe they invited you, so you assume they're going to pay. Or maybe they invited you, and you assume you're still going to pay. I don't know your approach, whatever. It's usually like a weird thing that uh, unsaid. I don't, I don't like the unsaid stuff. I don't like it. But let's, let's put ourselves in a restaurant scenario right now for a second. Frugal generosity would feel like there is a restraint on the order. You know what I'm talking about. Okay, so someone says, I'm going to take you to the restaurant. I'm going to take you to lunch. Frugal generosity is maybe there's an, a, a vibe or an environment. The person that's taking you doesn't offer to get you appetizers. You know what I'm talking about, okay? I, I'm, I'm going, I'm just going a little bit, I'm overanalyzing the situation right now, okay? Just walk with me for a second. Walk with me. You walking with me? Okay, this is actually, this is how the, the rabbis back in the day would walk with their disciples and talk to them. This is how they would mentor them. So walk with me for a second. We're at a restaurant, and you don't offer me, I'm going to put myself in the situation, you don't offer me an appetizer. Not that I want an appetizer. I don't even want an appetizer. I'm not even hungry. 
But you don't offer it to me. Right there, I wonder if there is a restraint on this moment. I'm just being honest, okay? Maybe you don't think this way. But I want us to break through a mindset for a, sec- a se- second. I want us to break through something. There's a restraint. There is a, a budget-mindedness to this moment. You feel awkward. You feel like, I want the appetizer, but I also want the main course. And in fact, the main course is like a $50 steak. I really want that, but I feel bad because I don't know if that's too much. I feel awkward, so I'm not going to order that. I'm going to order the cheapest thing on the menu because now I feel like I'm unworthy of this moment. You following me for a second? All these things going on because nothing has been said. I'll take you to lunch, but there's no parameters set out. This is an example of frugal generosity. They're blessing you with the meal, but you just feel awkward and tension, and you feel like there is restraint. You don't know what to do. So you buy the cheapest thing, and you leave unhappy and unsatisfied to have to go to McDonald's to get another hamburger because you're so hungry. There has been seasons where I've done this. I'm telling you, I, I've lived this out. Maybe you haven't. I'm the only one in this room. I've done this before. Like awkward. It's just awkward. Frugal generosity. And not to say that, once again, frugal is bad. But, on the f- but there is a bad side to everything good. Honey is really good. But if you eat too much of it, it might be bad for you. Like, like there's a good side and a bad side to everything good. So then, then we have this. We have the next type of generosity, and it's just generosity. Say it with me. Generosity. This is a healthy place to live. It's less calculated. It's less complicated. It's less thinking. Just does it. This can sound bad. It's not to say that you're not operating in wisdom, but it's less thinking, less complicated. And it's, I believe, the bridge where faith and budget meet. This is the kind of generosity we should be living day in and day out. Now, once again, don't hear me. I'm not saying don't be frugal and don't be smart. But when it comes to generosity, generosity as generosity is where God wants you to live. Some of us only live in the frugal part of it. But God wants us to live in the generosity part of it. So back to the restaurant again with me. Let's go back to the restaurant. We're back in the restaurant. You go there, you feel a lot more freedom. So-and-so, they offer you appetizers. But you're really hungry today. You're not, you feel like you can pound three appetizers back, and you're not sure if you can ask for the third appetizer. They don't offer you a drink, but you really want a glass of wine, and you want the most expensive bottle of wine. I'm not saying that this is true for you. But you're just not sure. But you still feel like there's not much limitation on this moment. More has been said with offering you whatever you would like, but you're still unsure. But it still feels really generous. And you're not going to take advantage of the situation, but you're going to order, and they're ordering you more food than maybe you wanted to, but, you know, there's just nothing else to say. It's an amazing experience, an amazing moment. This is generosity. Then you have the third place, which is what I would call, which is what I felt the Lord spoke to me, actually. This is how he worded it. Lavish generosity. Write that down. Lavish generosity. And I believe that most people in this room will not live in this place, but they will frequent it. They will, they will frequent this place once in a while. This is what I would describe as almost unbelievable and unnecessary. 
You ever had a moment where someone lavished you with generosity? It was like unbelievable. It felt unnecessary almost, but you felt honored. Like you didn't have to go that far. Like I would have been really amazed by that, but you went over here. I'm like, holy, this is amazing. You didn't have to do that, but I thank you for doing that. Like I feel very loved and honored and encouraged and strengthened by this, but you didn't have to go that far. You know, like we had we had one one year, Michelle and I, we were, it was a really tough, tough season in our in our lives, and it was back when uh, I think in 2013, a lot of things were going on. It was a very tension, very pressurized season, um, especially within the church context. Back then, we were at the other our other building, and lots of pressure, lots of things happening. It was a very stressful season. Three kids uh, under the age of uh, four, and um, these two business people approached me and said, uh, we would like to send you away to like an all-inclusive, five-star, wherever you want to go. You just pick wherever you want to go. We were like, what? Like we were really blown away. Wherever you want to go, two weeks, ten days, wherever you want to go. We didn't even know like what to, we didn't know what to pick. We're like, well, Mexico? Like that's like where everybody goes, you know? And they lavished us. They didn't have to pick a five-star. They said it's got to be a five-star. They didn't have to pick a five-star. They could have thrown us in a three-star. They could have they said seven days maximum. They said however long you want to go, wherever you want to go. Now, we weren't going to pick Fiji. But we felt lavished in that moment. It felt like a strength in that moment. It might have been, some of it might have been unnecessary and unbelievable, but it was a massive blessing. For Michelle and I. This is lavish generosity. It, it's, let me continue on. Simply to honor. When you lavish somebody with generosity, it's simply to honor them. I would say there's no limits and guidelines. Write that down. No limits. I mean, you're at a restaurant, they order the whole menu. I've been to moments like these where, like, and, and honestly, and I would say this, and not to, to feel like, this is not to sound like, um, I want to be careful how I word this, but there's something, when you experience a moment like this, it's the most freeing thing possible. Even if you don't eat everything on the menu, if somebody orders the whole menu, you just feel like, wow, this is like an amazing experience. Anybody have that before experience? It's an amazing experience. It feels like you're just being lavished. Even if you don't enjoy, you can't eat all of it, you're too full, you just feel like, wow, you went all in on this. I feel blessed. I feel lavished. Lavish generosity can be described as radical obedience and love. Radical obedience and love. So you're doing it out of obedience and love for an individual or for a situation. And I, I you know, my, my wife and I, like, we've tried to make it our objective in moments and seasons to do and activate and frequent this place. And I'm telling you, like, when I frequent this place, I feel fear. I feel the fear. And I think there's a healthy sense of fear because you're sacrificing. There was one time that we, we did this thing. I won't go on all the details. And we took this couple to a place and we didn't need to do all these different things. But we went all in and we literally did every, like we did, it, we went all in. And I remember feeling like the fear, like, oh, God, like, I don't even know if I can afford this. Like, but I feel like I'm supposed to do it. But I feel like fear that I am like, draining my bank account right now but we did it to honor 
we did it to honor, and we've seen the, the return of God's blessing on our life as a result of it. We see the value of it. When you do this and when you frequent this place of lavish generosity, what happens as a result? Lavish generosity is really an example or a demonstration of full trust in God. Full trust in God. And there's really no other way, let me just say this, there's no other way to see the cross outside of lavish generosity, by the way. Like, I mean, Jesus lavished humanity with the generosity of his life. Dying on a cross so he could rise again, so he could reconcile you back to God eternally. Redeem you. Rejoin you with what was disconnected back in the garden when relationship with you and him was disconnected. Moving you from independence to dependence again. On him. I want you to stand up with me. Two things. We're not on the third yet. Third is next week. Two things that we've talked about so far, and I want to make this very practical, that I believe are two great revelations, which are the blueprint for the new landscape of your life in this season, is the revelation of community and the revelation of, uh, of, of generosity. The revelation of community and how that pertains to your actual current life. Are you connected? Do you have relationship? Do you have a tribe? Do you have a community? Do you have a people around you that actually are helping you grow and pulling you higher? That's why Liz, our VIP team leader, talked about connect groups because there's so much value in connecting in community, spiritually speaking, one of the ways that we do that is in what we call connect groups here. And I would encourage every one of you to get connected in this next semester that's coming really soon, the beginning of February, to sign up for a connect group for the winter semester. You will not regret it. And it may be hard for you because you feel like, yeah, you don't feel like you're like the type of guy or girl that can easily connect with new people. That's what I'm saying. If you're going to see new landscape in your life, you've got to reposition yourself. You've got to move yourself in sometimes an uncomfortable place to be vulnerable so that you can grow into what God has for you. And the revelation of generosity starts somewhere. Maybe you don't end up on the list of frugal, generous, or lavish. S try and aim for somewhere this year. Aim to be generous with your time. Aim to be generous with your life. Aim to be generous with your finances. Aim to be generous. Lavish people around you. Lavish honor. Do these things. Start to try and activate the revelation that maybe you've always said you had or have, but you've not repositioned or positioned yourself for. And when you do that, I guarantee you, you'll see change. You'll see transformation. Close your eyes just for a second. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are present in this room. Holy Spirit, we just honor you. We honor you. In this season, you're going to show us the truth of who Jesus is in these areas. Remember, it's, it's knowing the truth. The truth shall set you free when you know the truth. Not just the truth. The truth will not set you free unless you know the truth. The truth will not set you free unless you know the truth. So Holy Spirit, help us to know the truth. Help us to experience the truth. Help us to walk in the truth. Help us to 
the truth in the in these areas, but of course the truth of the gospel, the truth of who you are, what you did on a cross over 2,000 years ago to reconcile humanity, the truth of what you did when you shed your blood to, to forgive us of our past, present, and future sin, the truth that your body was broken to set us free from sickness and disease, the truth that when you rose again, you raised us to new life. And reconciled us back to God eternally, one time forever. God, I pray that all of that would trickle down into the areas that we talked about today. Trickle down into our family. Trickle down into our finances. Trickle down into our relationships. Trickle down into our community. Trickle down into every area of our business, our career. Whatever is going on right now, the truth would trickle down of all those things into the very fabric of our life in this season. In Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd lift the load right now. Come on, just lift your hands for a second. Maybe you've, for 2023, you've not stepped into making a commitment to a relationship with Jesus. This is your year to do that. This is your year to do that. All you have to do is say, Jesus, I believe that you are God. I believe you have forgiven me. I believe you died and you rose again to set me free from me, from sin, from death, so I could know and walk with you. That's all you have to do. That's the first step into transformation. So in 2023, I declare over you, over this house, that we will be more free in 2023. That we will be more free, more free in community, more free in generosity, more free in our relationships, more free, more free. Come on, declare that over yourself again, that I'm going to be more free in 2023.